You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. So we're going to be jumping into Acts this morning, all right? And the last couple of weeks, we've kind of started to unpack a little bit about the history and what Acts is all about and who wrote it and the details and all that stuff. So if you missed the first couple of weeks, make sure you jump in there. Last week, we touched on the significance of Pentecost and why that was such a big event, why there were all these different people from different places. We talked about the significance of the tongues of fire and why that was not so much a weird thing as an amazing revelation by God to help us know that God wants to be with us personally and not, and not uh, in a place anymore, but with us individually, with his presence. And so if you missed last week, I would encourage you to jump online. It's real simple, rlcpullman.com, and listen to the sermon from last week, or you can watch it if you're a visual person and all that good stuff, all right? So stay up to speed. How many people read the thing that I assigned, and I said we're going to read Acts, what did I say? Six, seven, and eight. How many people read Acts six, seven, and eight? a bunch, okay? I'm sorry. I called an audible. You are now ahead. Um, Good job. Good, good job. Gold stars for all of you. So what we're going to talk about today is the thing you haven't probably read is Acts 4. Right? Welcome to life inside this thing right here. It's a little bit dangerous. So here's what's going on. Um, in Acts 4 is kind of a hinge pin story where things begin to shift and change as the story unfolds in Acts. As you read ahead in 6, 7, and 8, you know that there's this giant persecution that's starting to take place. There's this huge opposition to the people, uh, the apostles and the early believers that are, that are out spreading this gospel message that Jesus is who God said he was, that Jesus is a savior and a Messiah, and that in him you can receive forgiveness for your sins and nothing else is needed. There's, there's nothing more to add to it. There are no more things that you're obligated to do other than completely and totally put your faith and trust in Jesus as a Savior and Messiah, and through that, along with baptism, which we'll learn about today, God, and that, you can have a saving relationship with the one true God. And, and because of that message, there is mass persecution that starts to come. There's this like pressure that gets turned up on the apostles, and we start to see it unravel. But in Acts 4, we sort of see this hinge story where it goes from Pentecost where everything's amazing and awesome. Thousands of people are coming to know the Lord. There are baptisms upon baptisms. The, the, this thing is spreading like wildfire and all of a sudden they start to, re, to feel a little bit of heat. They start to feel a little bit of pushback, a little bit of persecution. And so we're going to dig into it and learn what was going on with these guys, with these apostles and these early believers. What stood out about them that help them sustain and stay the course through the early persecution, but what also, what was, what was it about them that had them ready for a major hard times ahead to stay the course with their faith, all right? So how many of you in here have ever experienced some pushback for your faith? How many of you experienced like some ridicule, maybe uh, made fun of even maybe by your family or friends? Um, how many of you have been kind of maybe looked down on or like maybe you're uh, sort of ignorant because you believe in something that seems so silly to somebody that just doesn't get it? How about actual like legit opposition? Like you're doing kingdom work. 
You're, you're actually investing in people and loving people and serving people, whether it's in town or far away on a missions trip, and you've actually experienced like legit pressure, pushback, persecution. If you haven't yet, if you can't think of a time right now where you've really felt like someone was against what you're about, then I would say this, if, if you're in, if you're on to keep doing this Jesus thing and it's gonna be a part of who you are and what you commit your life to, hang on and get ready for it. Because we're no more exempt than the apostles were. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, um, it for sure happens. Uh, it's sort of a secret. I'm trying to not let the word out that there's this God thing going on in my life with, with uh, bunk beds. Shh. Trying to keep it on the DL. Okay? In that, I have been watching, along with people that have been a part of our team and have joined on this crazy thing that's happening, um, I have been watching acts-like things unroll in, right before my very eyes, like left and right. People being added to our number daily. Literally, it started off one month ago. I sat at my kitchen table, and in one month, there have been over 50 different people that I didn't know in my basement that came and found me because they wanted to do something with me. And as we did some stuff together, we talked a lot about, guess what? The Lord. We listen to a lot of worship music. We love and serve each other. And there's a lot of people that want to know, what in the world are you doing this for? I mean, it's nice, but why? Right? Like, and so it opens up the door to all kinds of conversations. And those conversations lead to amazing things happening amongst the people. Like, I'm not even, I don't even need to be a part of that stuff. And there are people that are changing their lives. They're committing to follow Christ. There are people that are interested and eager and excited to be a part of like, what is this Sunday thing you guys do when you get together? Like the bunk bed thing seems okay. Like, why do you meet outside of that with like clean clothes on? What happens there? Right? It's really nice on Sunday. I get to like wear clean clothes. That hasn't happened a lot in the last few weeks. And and there's all these neat, amazing things going on on top of serving the people in the community and watching the, the eyes light up of the kids that we get to, to bless and help with the bed. And, there, and, and, and people that we've served are coming and wanting to be a part of church because they're like, if that's what a Jesus person's like, then I want to be around more of them. Where are they? And I'm like, I got two times, I can tell you, I promise there'll be a bunch of those kind of Jesus people. Come to one of these times and you will get to sit next to another one of those, right? Like, and it gives me a safe place to invite people to come and be here with other crazy people like me that love Jesus and are willing to do crazy stuff and try it, right? Like just hang it out there. Like that's our church. That's who we are. And we're watching as like amazing, miraculous things are happening. In fact, there, there is such awesome, miraculous stuff. You read Acts and you're like, man, that's awesome. It's amazing. It's like such this, it's almost like a epic fairy tale. It seems almost so hard to believe. Thousands of people committing their life to Christ. Oh, I can tell you like, there's been like 50 in my basement and one got baptized first service and one's getting baptized this service, Right? <laughs> And people that we delivered beds to have been at church already and are bringing their kids to see what this Jesus stuff is all about, right? It's cool, cool stuff. But I can also tell you that much like 
we watch as we see acts unfold, these amazing miraculous things, there's also this opposition that starts to bubble up, right? So for me, um, I'm navigating how to serve and do these things and involve other people into it and yet open up the doors of my house and have all these people in and try to figure out how do I let people in and not put myself at risk in my house. And I, this is probably a stupid thing to say, especially on Facebook Live, but I'm really good at dumb things. So um, I've never in my life locked my house, ever. I've, I don't know where a key is. Please nobody steal from me, just ask. Um, I need these tools, Right? Like, and so as we're doing this stuff, I've started to get some crazy, weird hate mail and people that are very opposed to a Jesus guy doing Jesus stuff with Jesus people. Like it stirs up actual hate. And the stuff that I have got is not pretty. It, and it's like, I laugh it off a little bit, but it's also a little bit scary. Because it's like, whoa, well, they're very angry some of the things. I've received some pretty discouraging text messages from people that have the gift of discouragement. Um, and they have been exercising their gift on me um, because I put my phone number anywhere and everywhere for everybody. I don't care, right? Like that's the risk that comes with it. That's the tension of like going all in to love and serve Jesus and, and being open and vulnerable to anything that kind of opposes Jesus. Like you're lumped in with the opposition for Christ. And so are all the crazy people that are jumping into this thing. And so I would just say, one, pray for us. Two, it's no surprise, right? Like, we're not experiencing anything like the guys in Acts did. But there's something we're going to unpack in this little uh, lesson this morning that is an important reminder for me personally. It's an important reminder for us as a church. It's a really important reminder for each one of you very personally to help each one of us individually be ready for opposition, to be ready for persecution and pushback when we get serious about following Jesus. Because there's something that sticks out in this story with Peter and the apostles that is a benchmark thing. And if we can wrap our brain brain around it and grab a hold of it and, 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 and remember it and figure it out and do it, we can be ready like they were ready to handle anything that comes at us as we chase after Jesus. So you guys in? You ready? I'm going to read through a big chunk of Acts with you. It's going to be in your notes, and I'm going to read it up here. So ready, set, go. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, and they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed." 
Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there with them, there was nothing that they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they've performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them not to speak any longer to anyone in this name. And then they called them in, and again they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let him go, and they could not decide how to punish him because all the people were praising God for what had happened, for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So here we've got this picture. This is the beginning of what we're about to see happen a lot, this tension that's brewing as the, this gospel this good news movement about a, a, a Jesus who is a savior and a Messiah who God said he was and in him there is salvation that God says is available in him and in no one else and there's this tension between them and the religious leaders of the day stressed and worried and frustrated that, that, that people would leave their organization to follow Jesus and receive salvation and freedom with, without the extra stuff that they really had gotten comfortable with. The rules and the rituals and the religious pieces of their faith. And so there's this huge battle that starts to brew, right? And in this passage, we see something that is the thing. It's the benchmark thing about Peter and the apostles, that if we miss it, we're missing what was the thing that helped them be ready to face all of the oncoming persecution and pushback that they ever faced all the way up until death. They stayed the course, they hung in there, they passionately preached the kingdom, they passionately advanced the gospel so that we have it even yet today. Like they hung in there and there was one thing in this passage that was the thing that helped them be ready for that. In Acts 4.13, it said that they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished, and they took note that they had been with Jesus. For me personally, and I hope for all of us in here, that's super encouraging. They saw, here's what stood out to them. This is, I sort of love this, because I'm like, I could fit in with those guys, right? They saw that they were unschooled, ordinary guys. Welcome to my club, right? I find it extraordinarily ironic that God called me to a college town to be a pastor and talk to people about Jesus when I scraped to finish high school and have never stepped foot. This is the most time I've ever spent in a college was because we do church in one. I've never been to one in my entire life. Education is not my strong suit. 
I'm just a crazy following Jesus guy. And so I think it's hilarious. And, and I find great comfort that the thing that the religious leaders of the day noticed about Peter and John is that they were just a couple of unschooled, regular, ordinary guys. And I think there are a whole bunch of people just like them. And here's the thing that, that they even noticed about them. It said that they were astonished. Check this out. The way Peter and John carried themselves, the way they defended their faith, the way they proclaimed their love for Christ, their boldness and excitement for their faith, what it did to the people around them, it, it made them astonished. They were astonished, and they took note that they had been with who? That's it. That is it. That is the answer. You have to be with Jesus to be ready for what it means to follow him in the weeks and months and years to come in your life. To be ready to face whatever comes our way, like the apostles were ready to face whatever came their way, it's rooted in being with Jesus. Right? Jesus says when we come to him, you'll never hunger or thirst. He gives us this picture that, first of all, we've got to start in this relationship with him. We come to put our faith and trust in him. That's where it begins. The, the apostles had the luxury of actually sitting down around a campfire and having breakfast with Jesus, like legit, real life. We don't have that luxury But what we do have is this picture that Jesus gives us that he says that when you put your faith in me, when you come to understand that I am who God says I was, that I can do what God said I can do, that in me you can receive forgiveness for your sins, salvation, you can receive God's spirit who is even greater than me, that when you believe that, he says, you come to me and you will never hunger or thirst. And he's not talking about you're not going to need dinner anymore, right? He's talking about it will change your life. When you go all in to put your faith and trust in Christ, when you begin with Jesus, it will change the way you live your life. You're no longer hungering and thirsting with this unsatisfiable appetite for stuff, for relationships, for people, for other things to meet your need and satisfy and make you fulfilled and make you happy and full of contentment and peace. Like You won't keep searching for what you can only find in him. He says, you'll hunger and thirst no more. I don't know about you guys, but I spent a lot of time in my life searching. I ran through a lot of different jobs. I rattled off a lot of different what I want to be when I grow up things until I got my arms locked around the Lord and the Lord got his arms locked around me and we sort of had one of those me and Joe eye to eyes where we got a little too uncomfortably close and the Lord made it pretty clear to me like, you need to be with me and all that other stuff's going to go away. Right? And man, is it good to be there. I hope every single one of you get lit on fire, filled up, having that kind of relationship with God. And, and so we get to have this idea of like, what does it look like to be with God? How do you do this? Like we don't have that luxury to sit around a campfire and have breakfast with Jesus. How do we now be with? The Bible uses words like abide with Jesus. He says things like remain in me. All of these things are, are just different ways to say the same thing. 
We need to abide in him, remain in him, stick with him, stay tight with him, stay super close with him, right? Like that's this picture that Jesus is trying to paint. He's trying to help us understand that when we remain, stick, abide, glue, don't get far from him, amazing things start to happen. And he does this thing in John 15 where he talks about this analogy of a branch and a vine to help us understand and get a picture that makes sense because this is an abstract idea. How do you be in a really close relationship with someone that you can't see, touch, feel, smell, talk to, and hear back, like audibly? Like, how do you do that? And Jesus gives us this picture. He's like, well, let me show you. It's like this. It's as if I'm the vine and it's as if you're the branch. And if the branch will stay tight to the vine, like remain in the vine connected, he said there will be like life-giving sap that goes between the vine to the branch. And that it will flow through and feed the branch to the point that the branch bears fruit. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, okay, I'm starting to get a picture of it. Like, like we gotta be like glued in. Like, not just sort of next to the vine, walking by a vineyard once a day. Like, like I've got to grab a hold and be bound up, like, with Jesus if he's the vine. And Jesus gives us this picture and this story about a branch and a vine that he gives us. And there's three different things that he said happens. There's things that, like this idea of this sap that flows to and from the branch and the vine. There's three things that really flow that he highlights When we abide and when we stick and we're in there, this is what's going between us and him. His word, his love, and his joy. Let's take a look at the word. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Like, if you remain in me, if we stay stuck to the vine, then God's word remains in us. And from that comes a confidence born out of a tight-knit relationship that you know you can believe and trust that when you ask the Father for something, he has got your back. But here's the thing. A lot of us, myself included over the years, love the idea of God's word remaining in us, right? Like that sounds awesome and we wanna have this tight, confident relationship where we know that we're good with God and when we ask, he hears. Like that sounds awesome and we love the idea of looking at our Bible occasionally in a very pretty spot on a shelf and we hope that somehow, miraculously, supernaturally, those words, the words of life, Jesus, in the pages of the text, will somehow just like, We'll trip and hit it and it'll land in us or something, right? Like somehow accidentally, God's word will just get in us so that it's remaining there. And I can tell you, I don't know how you get it in you unless you just sit down and get it in you, right? In order for God's word to remain in us, you have got to make some adjustments, You've got to rearrange your life. You've got to rearrange your schedule. You've got to rearrange your priorities. And the thing that is the most important to you is to grab God's word and to sit down with it. To sit down with it and to have God's word just feed and come into you and just take it in so that, so that as you go, those words come up. 
that it, it, it feeds your relationship with God because it's where you get to know who God is. It's where you get to know what God cares about. It's where you get to go know how God's dealt with different people in different situations. It's where you get to know what kind of things God cares about and doesn't care about. It's where you get to know what God's people do in hard times and good times and bad times. Like it, It's our guidebook, and it's also how we get to know the person of Jesus is by sticking tight in his word. You guys hearing me? The next thing Jesus said that flows between the branch and the vine is his love. Take a look at how he says this. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. As you start to experience and grab a hold of the idea that God the Father loves you, that he loves you. And, and he loved you even when you were a mess, even when you did terrible stuff, even when you thought terrible stuff. Like I look back on my life over the years and I am so glad that I am where I am today. And I am overwhelmed and humbled that I have a God that just meets me where I'm at and doesn't keep telling those stories back to me. And that can meet me where I'm at and that I actually get to feel and experience the love of a father who is like just glad to have a son, right? That's there for each and every one of you. And as you start to like soak that in, you start to sense that life-giving sap like flowing into your heart like, man, God really loves me. And it starts to just gel and make sense. There is something that starts to happen. You start to love people in a way that you didn't ever know you could, And we start to see crazy things like acts happening where people are selling cars and giving stuff away and helping each other and serving each other and loving each other well and caring about each other's business. It's pretty amazing stuff. And the last thing that Jesus talks about that flows really between the branch and the vine is joy. Let's take a look. He says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Like joy is an interesting thing. Joy is an interesting thing because I think a lot of times people misunderstand joy as happiness. And, and I'll tell you this, I think at times, yes. Can they be synonymous and in the same zone? Sure. But there's something about joy that's different than happy. There is something about joy that is like, I don't know, getting falsely accused for something you didn't do, dragged into jail with one of your friends, beaten thrown rocks at, locked in a jail cell, not having any idea how your day is going to go tomorrow, if you will live or be killed, and you can't help but worship God with a smile on your face. Like, that is not happy. That is this deep, abiding, fulfilling, bubbling over joy that comes from knowing who God is and knowing that God knows who you are and you're good. And no amount of rocks thrown at you are ever going to change it. When we stick with Jesus, when we abide, when we get tight with God and we start to dig in and devour his word and learn who God is and experience God's love for us, we start to have a joy that makes no sense to anybody around us. 
I can tell you from my personal experience, the last couple months of my life, I have had more joy, more peace, more excitement, more fun following Jesus than I've ever had in my entire life, tenfold. It is so, so good walking with God. And literally just seeing insane, awesome miracles happening left and right. Like, I'm, I am a guy that didn't grow up in church, and my inner skeptic comes out when I read stuff in Acts, and I'm like, yeah, right. Like, I mean, that's a cool story. It sounds good, but I mean, really? Really? Like, sound like sounds like a pastor story where they really exaggerated. Like, and, and I'm like watching stuff happen in my life where I'm like, I, I feel bad almost telling people the stories because I've got so many stories that I feel like nobody's going to believe me. It's so good. And you guys have got to get in on it. I want each and every one of you to have so many stories and have this joy and excitement bubbling out of you that you just can't shut up about how awesome Jesus is. And I'm telling you, if you will not make the adjustments, if you will not do stuff differently and radically change your life to get in God's word and spend time with God, you are gonna just keep grinding it out and getting your butt kicked every time something comes against you. But if you're willing to change, if you're willing to carve out, rearrange your life and get tight with God. Glue yourself to the vine. If you're willing to do that, I promise you, you will never regret it. Your heart will light up like a Christmas tree and people will be drawn to you for miles around and you're going to be tired and having the time of your life. You guys on? Right? That's the deal. We're going we're gonna to keep chugging along an axe, and we're going to start to see the heat turned up on the apostles in the weeks to come. We're going to see some pretty horrific, hard things, and we're going to continue to see amazing, miraculous things as the church advances and the gospel message grows. And we're going to get a dive into Turkey and Asia Minor, and I'm going to get to show you all kinds of stuff that I actually got to go see and lay my hands on, and it'll, it'll be like the time that I always wanted to have you guys over for a slideshow. We'll have some of those there to come. It's going to be really fun. But this morning we're going to finish up with communion together and baptisms. How about that? So if you're serving communion, would you go ahead and please serve it? And if you're new with us at Real Life, we take communion every week. And when we take communion, uh, we have an open table. And that means anybody that wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is welcome to have communion with us. When they pass them, just grab the elements and hold on to them. And we're going to take them together in a few minutes. All right? Now, while they're passing that stuff out, we've got a couple of questions. They're going to be up on the screen. They're in your notes. Um, these are the kind of things that you're going to talk about in your home groups uh, or in like an accountability or a me and three group. And so make sure you hang on to your sermon notes uh, because these are great for just personal devos or time in your home group. So let's take a look at the first one. Real obvious, are you connected to Jesus? I mean, seriously, are you connected to Jesus? And now here's, here's something, you guys, everybody look up here because it's easy to get distracted with the stuff passing around. This is really important. This is the most important thing you leave here with today. Do not go to bed tonight. Do not fall asleep tonight without sitting somewhere and having a heart-to-heart with yourself and asking yourself, am I glued to the vine? 
Do a little self-check. Do a little self-assessment. Where am I at personally? And if you, if you aren't 100% confident that you are just like super glued to the vine, if, that doesn't, if that's not the picture that comes into your mind and heart, then talk to any one of us on the team. Talk to your home group leader and say, hey, I got to figure out that whole getting glued to the vine for real. Come talk to me. It's my favorite thing to talk about, even more than bunk beds. All right, next one. Of the three things that Jesus described uh, flowing from the vine to the branch, the words, the love, and the joy, what do you feel like is missing? So again, just, just stuff to help you sift and, and dig and reflect on really where you're at with the Lord. Last one. Trying to abide in Jesus without significant time in your Bible is like, right, like, I could think of, I thought of a lot of great ideas, but I decided I probably shouldn't say any of them. <laughs> when I wing it on analogies, it gets bad sometimes. But I can tell you this, like, if you're not stuck with the Lord, and if you're not spending time in his word, and it's not a regular part of your everyday life, you're never going to get what's going on with the apostles. You're not going to get what's going on with me and all these crazy bunk bed people that are jumping on this thing. You're just going to keep missing out on the full, abundant life that Jesus has to offer you. And we have access to that, and we have the opportunity to have that abundant life because of what Christ did for us on the cross. And so each week we finish our time together with communion so that we never get far from remembering the significance of what Jesus did for us. So this morning, we're gonna take the bread and we know that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks for it and he said, as often as we get together, let's eat this in remembrance of him. In the same way, after dinner, Jesus took the cup and he said that this cup represents the new covenant, which is his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so as we know that we have sins forgiven by Christ, it's because of the shed blood and his sacrifice for us. And so remember that with gratitude as we take the cup. God, you're a good God and we just... We're just so blessed to know you and so blessed to have your word. God, that you give us this great, big, huge, deep, rich, wonderful stories and pictures of who you are and how you relate to people and what you care about and what ticks you off and, you know, what you love, like just all of it, that we don't have to guess. God, help us to just have an appetite for your word and to, and to just be faithful and dig in and get to know you better. Transform us personally and God just change the culture of our church that we are just an on fire, joy filled place that people just can't stay away from and help more people get to know you because of the faithfulness of the people here today. Let's pray in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.